Um, so, our first presentation for this morning is entitled The Dragon of the Adventist Church, Why Adventism Has Failed Online. I won't tell you too much about it just because we're going to actually go into it. After that, uh, Clive here is going to be doing one called Bell, the Dragon, and Digital Design. How many of you know that um, there is a 14th chapter in the book of Daniel? At least in the apocryphal version. Um, and there's a really humorous story um, in there that ties neatly into what we're looking at in this presentation, which is how idols shackle digital design. So how things of the past might be holding us from really progressing with uh, digital ministry. After that, I'll be doing a presentation called The Damsel in Distress. I'm trying to rescue design from the dragon's lair. So what can we do on a practical level? What can we do in terms of um, our own local church ministry, in terms of the products and the information that we're putting online that can give Adventism the beautiful face that it deserves. And then um, we'll be doing a presentation together called How to Train Your Dragon, um, Unshackling Adventist Creatives. So you're going to want to really be here for that one. That's the really, really practical one. Um, we've got loads of different things happening here. And all of this is leading to the fifth one. And this is why uh, we suggest that you try and stick around. Um, we're going to have a panel on our fifth and final seminar called The Dragon's Den. And essentially, in this panel, what we're going to be doing is we're going to have you present. Present what? Throughout these seminars, we want you to be thinking of your own digital ministry ideas. As far-fetched and as seemingly ludicrous as they might be, we want you to dream. We want you to think. We want your innovation caps to be on and for you to present in front of a panel of people that have been successful in digital and design ministry, your ideas. You guys have watched Shark Tank before? This is Holy Shark Tank. Okay, so um, that'll be our fifth seminar. We're going to talk a little bit about that the more we go through each of these seminars. At the front of each kind of section of the room, apart from that one right over there, sorry, um, there's papers for you to sign up to have a slot in the fifth seminar. All right. I know this can be a little bit nerve-wracking. Like, oh, I don't want to stand up in front of everyone. Yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> do it anyways. Do it anyways. Um, and hopefully, throughout these seminars, you're going to be encouraged enough that you're like, I want to see um, where I can go with my ideas because ideas are everything. Ideas are everything, and we want to tap into your imagination and your creativity. Um, and and maybe, and this would just be a dream. Maybe we can have ministries starting in this very room today. Would you say amen? That's what we're hoping for. Okay. So those are the uh, the seminars that we've got lined up. Those are our five concluding here uh, with kickstarting your digital ministry at Dragon's Den. Now that's the English version of Shark Tank. Clive and I are from England, and so we wanted to stay true to our roots. We appreciate you guys though. And so Really, really looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to start with our first presentation, um, but first of all, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us all here to GYC. What a blessing 
it has already been, and I'm sure will be. Lord, many faced uh, difficulties traveling, um, maybe even other difficulties in getting here. And yet here we all are, and we just pray and ask that this room would be filled to the brim with your spirit. That you would lead our discussions, our conversations, our thoughts, our ideas. That you would bless us with wisdom. And that, Father, in this room today and in all the rooms here where the seminars are, that your name will be glorified and we'll be one step closer to being in heaven with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, welcome everyone. I am Clive Coutte again. So, a little bit about us before we actually start. Both of us, myself and Dean, as you can hear, are from England, but we don't actually live there. We live in this beautiful place in Northern California called Weimar University. And Dean serves as? I am the um, Vice Principal and Boys Dean at Weimar Academy. And I serve as the Media Director. But our journeys didn't really start here. Our journey started 12, 13 years ago. Dean was a newly baptized member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I had just come back into the church after being distant for many teenage years. And we both came into, this, into the church almost like with a fire in our bellies to do something. And we're going to be telling you a little bit more about the origins of the next ministry that we started, but it was called The Preaching Place. I don't know if anyone had heard of that, but it was one of YouTube's first social media media ministries. Um, we managed to accumulate numerous amounts of views and likes and subscribes and so forth. Going back like 12 years ago, there wasn't anyone really doing what we were doing. So this is a picture of myself, my wife, Dean, and our other good friend, Leith. This was probably about 12 years ago. I, I promise that is me. <clears throat> yeah. It is. Yep, it is. It is. Um, but as well as that, since moving away from England or even since we kind of stopped doing the Preaching Place ministry, we both um, took endeavors to start other ministries as well. So here's some of the ones that I serve in. I don't know if anyone has heard of Lineage Journey. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you. Um, but Lineage Journey was founded 20, 2016. Now, Dean said something um, previously that maybe this could be somewhere in this session where you kickstart your next ministry or your ministry in the first place, right? This was a journey I had to go on. Lineage was something that was in my heart and in my mind for a number of years before it actually was able to get kick-started. Actually, it was probably around 2013, 2014 when the idea first came. And then um, it didn't actually take fruition until 2016. So we're going to try and give you some of those tools where you can actually take some of those ideas and actually, you know, kick-start them to actually make it happen or, you know, give you direction or um, advice on how that can, can work. So, um, after Lineage, I'll let you introduce the next one. Sure. So, uh, about 2019 then, um, my friend Christian and I started a podcast called The Why They Did That Podcast. And uh, no cheers. Okay. And um, so, so the, uh, the podcast was really started because my friend and I, had a desire whilst we were in school to still be in ministry. Now, how many of you are students right now? Right? The idea of being a student and still finding time to do ministry um, can sometimes be quite polarizing. You're like, I, I should be involved, 
but my studies are so important. Uh, we just got to the point, not that school was easy, it certainly wasn't, where we just felt an itch, where we felt like we had to do something. And so we started a podcast um, called The Why They Did That Podcast because we couldn't really find many Adventist podcasts and we wanted to take stories about the Bible and just put them out there and show how ancient stories of the past could be so relevant to our people, to especially to our young people today. And so that took off, and um, we're actually recording the fourth season here at GYC this week, so super excited for that. And the last one is uh, an app that um, took a lot of time and a lot of mental strength to actually work on. And I don't know if anyone has heard of Luminate app, but we raised a, we started a Kickstarter campaign probably at the beginning of this year. And um, we needed to raise close to $350,000 um, to make this happen. And the Lord made it happen. And our MVP, which is our minimal viable product, actually launched in the App Store today. So the way this app works is it is um, the writings of Ellen White. And you're able to choose different voices. You're able to choose background music. You're able to not just go to a book and search for a particular topic. We've actually done that for you and categorized some of the topics and some of the stories. So you can just go into the app and find some of these topics and be able to listen freely. We can repeat them. We can add um, different types of music. You can change different accents. The list goes on. What, what books are available right now? So right now, we today we launched um, Steps to Christ and the Great Controversy. They're the only two books that are available right now. We were actually aiming to launch the app on, in March, but we wanted to get it out for GYC. So that's why those two books are the only ones that are available. Um, but this is another journey that I had to take in terms of um, believing that I, we could actually do this. You know, The idea for this one came to me probably in 2016 when I started Lineage, actually. And um, it was a journey. And I remember when I first moved to Weimar, we were driving to... Um, Death Valley actually to do some filming for another project I was working on and I was sharing this idea with some of the students in my car and they were like we would actually listen to this and I was like right we actually have to get this going and about two years ago we started the groundwork and here we are today so that's a little bit about us and what we're kind of been up to and what we're doing and and I guess now is the point where we go into our presentation so how Adventists were the pioneers of visual presentation. Did you know that our Adventist pioneers were almost innovating beyond that we can imagine? Think about it. We're in church right, day, right now, and sometimes we struggle with what the poster looks like, or even how the live stream is, or even how some of the way our, our churches um, showcase media in general. You know, for lineage, for example, the reason why the idea came to my mind is because I was studying the great controversy and I was really struggling to find practical ways and able to, that, sorry, practical resources that was going to be able to help me as I studied the book. So, for example, everything I was looking online, I'll type in Martin Luther online. It was either like an hour long or really, really old. And I was like, well, I want to find something that's going to impact me right now and it's going to give me practical information right now. and Leave me with something to think about. Like, how is this, how is the information of Martin Luther relevant to me today? Right? Our pioneers were doing this. 
So I ask you the question, why is digital evangelism so important? I've got a couple of videos that I'm going to play for you, and then I'm going to dive into some of the pioneer stories. So we just walked around the back of our clinic and we see uh, the community where everyone's living and it's, it's a site for Sawise. This is their reality, you know? Just to give you some context. I was on a mission trip. We got and I was to doing this some really media. nice facility. Actually, after the other audience. Um, but right, like you walked into this, it was a massive house, massive building. But as you looked around the corner of the house, it was just straight slum. Um, the contrast was, was, was ridiculous. Anyways, um, but we had a lot of women and children, and the crowd was, the crowd was aggressive. Um, okay, back to the context. So I was on this mission trip. And um, you guys can see the conditions that people are living in, right? And this is like extreme poverty, right? The people don't have houses. They don't have, you know, clean water. They don't have the basic needs to survive, right? But as I walked around this campsite or this slum, should I say, this is what I saw everywhere. Like, how does that make sense? Right, you don't have money for food. You don't have money for actually a brick house or a wooden house to be able to save you from the elements of outside, but you're able to get satellite dishes. I remember when myself and Dean went on our first ever missionary trip. We went to Kenya in 2011. And um, this is before like social media even boomed. Like it was accessible, but it didn't, it hadn't boomed yet, right? And I remember we were in this in this uh, community four hours away from the main town of uh, main city of Nairobi, Nairobi. So we're in basic farmland. There was people who were extremely poor. We were hearing stories of mothers having to prostitute themselves in order to provide provide for their families. But everybody there, including the little kids, had access to smartphones. And then we got we went back to England, and all of a sudden, you remember this? We just started getting numerous amounts of Facebook requests. Like for people that we just didn't know their names, but we recognized their faces. And we're like, how is this possible? And then I remember when we were there, they were able to listen to like secular music that we would play in London. And I was like, how, how are they able to access all of this when they're living in complete poverty? Here's another quick video. As I was on the train in India and I'm going past these slums, I slowed it down. Look at the conditions of the houses, but look what's all around the houses. Mercy. <laughs> but yet, as Adventists, we don't take this as seriously as we should. We sometimes settle for second best. We sometimes just focus on or allow things to, to pass just because we need something, rather than actually putting time and effort into programming, into TV, into graphics, into marketing, and so forth. But this is what is able to get into people's homes when sometimes we as Christians are unable to. When you create something good on health, for example, 
is able to get into their homes when we are unable to. So, going back to the pioneers now. Has anyone heard of Charles Fitch? Okay, some of you have heard of him. Great. Some of you may not have. Charles Fitch was an incredible guy. He was a Millerite, so he didn't quite make it into, you know, Seventh-day Adventist pioneers. But he was an Advent pioneer. And right before 1844, on October 22nd, a few days before, he actually died. And he died because he was constantly going outside to baptize people, even though he was sick in the cold water. And then he would travel home. And because of the Millerite movement and the 1844, the 22nd of October, 1844, coming up so quickly, there was a real desire and burden to get this news out to as many people as possible. So as he's now walking back home, he sees a group of people. And when he sees them, they're like, we want to get baptized. So he's sick. He's shivering. He probably has pneumonia. And he takes them back into the cold water and baptizes them. Spends, I think it was like 10 people he baptized. Then he leaves again, cold, shivering. And he sees another group of people. And he goes back and baptizes them. Anyway, after this point, he traveled for a few days and eventually died because of what he had been doing. But his wife was encouraged because, you know, they believed, you know, October 22nd was coming in a few days' time. So they were all encouraged because they knew they would see each other again. But their commitment for the message was causing them to do everything possible to reach as many people as possible. Now, why do I mention Charles Fitch? Not many, not many people may know this, but he was almost a pioneer of what we call Advent media. Everyone here probably has heard of Daniel chapter 2 and the statue and Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And he would take a, a carved out wooden image of the statue to every presentation he would go to. And he would physically stand there and point at the different elements. He created this model of the statue and he would use it for evangelism. And people would say that it made things so much clearer for them because they had a physical, creative representation of the the dream of Daniel chapter 2, or the statue, should I say. But then we go on. Another man called Apollos Hale. He was an Advent pioneer as well. And he he was together at the same time as Charles Fitch. At this point in time, this is probably 1842, early 1843. Uh, they were probably their mid-30s and they decided to work together. So Apollos Hale was a Methodist Episcopal preacher in New England. He joined the Millerites and contributed significantly as a lecturer, writer and co-designer of the, Wiley, of the Wiley distributed and used 1843 chart. Now, this may be all very boring to many people, but this right here is almost the first visual representation of what Adventists, not simply Adventists, Advent, the Advent movement used to get the message out there. And they would take this to all kinds of places. They would take this to every seminar they went to and they'll post it and they'll, they'll put it on the street when we say post it. They weren't posting it on Facebook. They were posting it on the wall and then they were literally showing people you know, as we get, as we post our stuff on social media platforms and we were getting likes and thumbs up and hearts, they were getting reactions in the crowd. They were getting likes and thumbnails and, um, and, um, and hearts from people physically in the audience because it actually finally made sense to people who were being able to understand these topics. They were using what was available to them at the time to do what? Spread the gospel. Now, I'm going to come down here for a concert. 
Thus, Alexa Messenger says he had been turning it over in his mind and felt that if something of this kind could be done, it would simplify the subject and make it much easier for him to present it to the people. This is in reference to Apollos Hell and Charles Fitch, who came together to actually to actually put these um this chart together to show people. This was the reasoning behind it. That almost tells me that whatever we do should do what? Simplify the subject and make it easier for us to be able to present the message to a dying world. That's the whole point of what we do is for media, right? We're not doing it just to be able to create something amazing and get all the reactions possible. The goal is evangelism. The goal is to be able to reach people in the forms of media that's applicable to them. So right, right back then in 1843, that chart was almost revolutionary. You know, printing was a, was a thing then, but graphics and, and design in, term, in terms of a Christian content context wasn't something that was big. We were used to just studying the Bible and studying the Word, but not necessarily having these visual representations. Now, given the 1843 chart wasn't the first chart, there was actually a few that was developed before then, but this was the most complete one, and this was the one that was eventually taken on by the Millerites and used consistently. So, here's a picture, for example, of um, William Miller um, using this chart as he preached. And people, they would literally post it, just like I said, behind him as he preached. He would preach from the word, and he will point back and reference this chart. This was actually the main visual that the Millerites would use. So this is what Ellen White says in The Present Truth, November 1850. The Lord showed me that the 1843 chart was directed by his hand and that no part of it should be altered, that the figures were as he wanted them. So that chart was created by God himself, but he used, he, he inspired, you know, these men to put this chart together to be able to be used to spread the gospel. And we're going to be going in our, my second, in our second seminar, this is the next one, going to go in a little bit more detail of um, how we work hand in hand with God to be able to create stuff. And then this says, these brethren had fulfilled a prophecy given by Habakkuk 2, 468 years before, where it says, and the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Now, when you actually break that down, when you, when, you, when you look at that text right there, that he may run that reader for it. It's almost like it's made it easier for you to understand. So now you can take that message and take it to as many people as possible in a quick, digestible form because it's easy to understand. This thing now became so plain to all that it was unanimously voted to have 300 of these charts lithographed for width that those who felt the message may read and run with it. So they decided to make 300 copies of it so that it could be used throughout the Millerite movement to be able to spread the gospel as easily as possible. Now, from moving forward from 1843, in 1851 is when we had our first printing press. And then from there on, we started to take the literature work more, more seriously. We had George King, who was the first literature evangelist. Who started, and they were using basically these methods of printing, of graphics, of books that we didn't have as an Advent movement before then. They were taking all these available technologies to them and they were able to use 
it to spread the gospel. Now, when we look back further in history, we look at something like the Gutenberg Press, right? When that was created, it was almost the kickstarting of the Reformation. Without that technology, without the press, who knows what would have happened to the Reformation at that point? It was almost like God inspired Johann Gutenberg to create that press so that we could get Bibles to people in different languages all across their known world, which was, you know, Europe. And I guess Asia as well. So in the 18, in 1860s, Stephen Haskell created the Tract Society. And in 1874, Stephen Haskell and James White launched their first book, which was called True Missionary. We were pioneering from early on. We were doing things that people in other Christian denominations weren't doing. We were almost like the leaders. When we had the printing presses, they were sometimes the best in the world. Not because they created the most amazing product, but because they were functional and we were trying to get the message out as much as possible to as many people as possible. But something seems to have happened over time where, where we're not so focused on the quality or the innovation anymore. Something happened where things started to change, where we were just focusing on one particular aspect and not necessarily all aspects. And I'm going to pass it over to Dean now who's going to be sharing a little bit more about that. And just beforehand, just for our helpers at the back, I counted about 30 seats that were still uh, still free. And I see some people are still coming in. I'm going to be that really annoying person and ask um, those of you that are here, if there are seats kind of in the middle of your row, if you wouldn't mind just pushing in so that when people do come in, um, they can just take the seats on the edge. Thank you so much. So, how, given what Clive just presented, how did we get to perhaps the current state that we're in all, or how did a movement that had so much progress and so much velocity in terms of innovation, how did it stagnate so much? How is it that Adventists, in many ways, became digital dragons? I believe, and this might be the most um, un-Adventist thing that you hear at GYC. I I can't imagine there would be too many of those, but this, this is probably up there. I think it might be because along the way, we started to overemphasize the message and underemphasize the package. Let me break that down for you. The message that we've had, the Adventist message, the three angels message, the everlasting gospel, the news that Jesus is coming soon and that this is our time to get ready and to tell the world, that, ad- that message has always been powerful. It has always been powerful. At the beginning of this movement, as Clive was illustrating, we, had, we knew, the pioneers knew that they had something amazing in their hands, something worthwhile, something that they truly did have to tell the world. And they were, they were as quick as possible in adopting whatever means were available to get this message as dissipated as quickly as possible, out there to as many people as possible. One of the ways that they did this was through these large tent camp meetings. Um, they would prop up these big tents and they would have flyers all over the, the towns and the villages. And people would flock in. They'd hear the message. 
they'd get baptized. That sounds very archaic. When was the last time? Has anyone been to an actual tent camp meeting, let's say, in the last five years? A few of you. The reason why this was so innovative back in that time is because it simply just wasn't something that people were used to seeing. They would go into the parks and see huge tents and think, huh, what is this? They would see flyers posted all over, you know, town centers, and they were like, oh, it's intriguing. Now, if, let's say, in your local town, if someone propped up a big tent and you put a flyer out and said, uh, come and hear the Advent message, how many people do you think would come? Probably not very many. Maybe that says more about your town than mine. Probably not very many. But the reason for that is, is it's just not as innovative as it was. It's not as striking as it was. It had its time and the time has moved on. Would you agree? The time has moved on. So what can we do? I think one of the reasons why it was so successful was not merely because it was novel, but it was because of the way in which the early Advent people went about their business. They did not simply put flyers up or, or put flyers you know, under people's doors or attach them onto their, their car handles. They did more than that. The people that they invited were not strangers to them. They were people that they knew. When these preachers would come and erect these tents, they would go to their friends, they would go to their families, they would go to their neighbors, people that they knew, people that they had relationships with, and they would say, hey, something's happening here. Something significant. And I want you to come with me. I don't know how many evangelistic seminars you guys have been to at your local churches. I've been to a fair few. And what always struck me was that we would have, in Sabbath afternoons, we would have outreach events because the evangelist is coming, right? And so we would go door to door and hand out flyers and say, hey, please, you know, can you come to this event because we want to baptize you. And um, what was interesting was when those seminars came around, the vast majority of people that went on outreach that Sabbath because it was mandatory, they weren't even at the meetings themselves. So the people would walk in and they would be scanning the room, looking around to see where the person that invited them was. They weren't there. You know, so they might have awkwardly sat down for about 10 or 15 minutes, felt completely out of place and left. And that was it. That was their Adventist experience. The early Advent pioneers were personal people. They weren't just preachers. They were people that went from house to house to house. They were people not just on the outside of the house on the inside of the house, having house meetings, healing the people, bringing things to their communities which would benefit them, not just in a spiritual sense, providing opportunities for them to make money for their families so that they would be in a position where they didn't have to spend so much time working, but they could come to those tent meetings. They were personal. They were not postmen, which is kind of the ministerial strategy that many of us have adopted. We're postmen. We, we put it in the box. Maybe they'll read it. Maybe they won't. That's not my problem. Right? I did my job. I put it there. And now it's up to the Lord. Right? We give the Lord our one cents when we have $100 in our pocket. And we say, work with that, please. Make my church grow. I think over time, we started to overemphasize the message and underemphasize the package. And this is what I mean. And I'm not saying that the package, don't misunderstand my words. The package is not more important 
than the message. It's not more important. But there needs to be a balance in emphasis. Think about this. How many of you received any gifts for Christmas this year? A fair few of you. If you receive a gift, how many of you have received a gift at some point that was wrapped in your life? Some of you aren't putting your hands up. That's either really sad or you're just really tired. I'll assume it's the latter. When you receive this gift and the wrapping paper, like as you pick it up, the wrapping paper starts to fall apart. And it's already got like holes in it. And the tape wasn't even covering the seams. Do you think, oh boy, this gift must be fire. This must be amazing. Whatever's in here, I can't wait to open it. I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, my auntie bought me socks again. Right? Because if you buy someone socks for Christmas, no offense to those of you that bought socks for Christmas. When you open it, you kind of ha- you have to kind of like, oh, socks. Thank you so much. I don't have this color. You know? It doesn't excite you. Now, when you walk in and you see, you see this thing and it's, it's pristinely wrapped. There's not a crease in the paper. It has this elaborate bow on top and it has a little cardboard that has your name written so nicely on it. You think, okay, this is the gift. Right? This is what I'm most looking forward to opening. Because the package itself tells you how much the person that gave it to you values it. Are you with me? That's what the package does. The package tells you how much this is worth. And so it doesn't make sense to take this amazing gift and to just haphazardly wrap it up and throw it around and eventually say, oh, by the way, this is for you. Please appreciate it. We started to become reliant on the means of delivering the message. When things like the printing press took off, like, like Clive said, there's no reformation without it. If we couldn't get the words out, if we couldn't get the Bible printed in masses, then there is no reformation. However, sometimes these blessings can become curses to us because we allow the means themselves to be the evangelists. God has called us to be evangelists. He hasn't called YouTube to be evangelists or Instagram to be evangelists. The idea is that we have these these things that we can use, but it still has to be you. There is no quick fix for evangelism. There is nothing that you can do. I'm going to put five minutes worth of work in here and I'm going to see a hundred souls in the kingdom. It doesn't work like that. And so what we do now for evangelism is so opposite to what Jesus did. Think about it. It's so opposite. We go around and we just hand things to people. And we do it in such a way, and you, you, you've probably seen some of the tips. Would you mind standing up? Where when you go, you're going, you know, you see someone, you go door to door, and you're like, hi, my name is Dean, can I have a free gift for you? Right? And you, Thank you. Too forceful, sorry. <laughs> and, and you just, you, you almost force them to digest it literally. Right? Just pushing it in. And, and, and they say, they have no choice but to take it now. Of course, you've wounded them. <laughs> you know? They're, they're like, is there a sharp edge to this? 
Can, can anyone see a time when Jesus' ministry looked like that? When Jesus just went around and started just, uh, just throwing out heal yourself cards. You know, touch the hem of this card and you'll be healed. His ministry was personal. His ministry was small scale. Worked in a small radius. And he knew that if he could just reach some of those people, then eventually those people would reach other people and so on and so forth. And it would have this ripple effect. Jesus' ministry was not impersonal. It was not about just getting things in people's hands. Getting things in people's homes. And there's quotes that we like to use. You know, Ellen White says, as long as the book is in the house, you know, eventually they'll read it, right? If the time will come, they'll read it. It depends really, doesn't it? Because if the person that gave it to them was a nuisance and they put it in their house thinking that they were going to throw it away and it got lost, it's going to be hard for them to read. But when it was their friend that gave them that book that they put in their house, when it was someone that they know, when, when they're like, wow, things are changing, just like my friend said, and he gave me this book, maybe it says more about it. Ah, now it has a purpose. These things were not meant to do the work for us. They were meant to assist us in doing the work. So that when we go home to home, so that when we're sitting down with the people, when we're, when we're interacting with them, when we're building relationships with them, that when we've got to move state or we've got to go there, we've got to do this, we can say, listen, everything I learned is in here. Read it. Now these things have infinite more value because they are associated with a personal and living relationship. And that's what I mean when I say that we started to overemphasize the message and underemphasize the package. Because for many of us, when it comes to evangelism, it's just about, let's just get the words out there. If that was the case, then we need to have like a megaphone factory so that we can just start walking around, send megaphones to every country in the world and just walk around. If we're speaking loud enough, then in a few days, Jesus should come back. Because all he's waiting for is the gospel to go to the whole world, right? So let's just blast it out there. Case in point. The Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? What is the Great Commission? Can anyone tell me? To go into all the world and to do what? To preach the gospel? Is that what it says? How many of you brought your Bibles today? There's loads of seats around here, by the way, people. Go to Matthew chapter 28. If you're looking for it, just try and find Matthew 27. And it's just one chapter ahead of that. Matthew chapter 28. From verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and do what? Go and do what? They say, go and preach the gospel? He said, go and make disciples. 
making disciples is very different to preaching the gospel. They're not the same thing. Preaching the gospel is part of making disciples. But it is not the whole thing. There's three things mentioned in here that I want to emphasize. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. So I'm looking at these three things here. These three things. The first one is the preaching. The first one is the preaching. On any given Sabbath, your church pastor will stand up there on the pulpit and deliver a message that will hopefully bring you closer to God. Amen? What makes this sermon actually, or not just actually, but what makes it more effective is if it's your pastor, if it's someone that you know, if it's a man that not only stands up here on Sabbath and brings you the word of God, but on Tuesday, you went out with him and did something. And on a Wednesday, he was in your house and he was praying with your parents because your dad just lost his job. And on Thursday, he's out helping the community. And then he stands up there on Sabbath and you're like, that's a man I want to listen to. Are you with me? Because it's not just the message. It's not just the words. Because we're not just ears. Have you realized? How many of you can see me right now? The visual is important. We're not just, it's not just about the words. We want to be able to see it as well. We want to be able to see it. And that's why this is not just a book of teachings. This is a book that illustrates and and shows us visually using our imagination what the life of Jesus looked like and not just the words that he said. So we preach, yes. We baptize. Perhaps the most personal thing you will ever do in your life is get baptized. Because what's more personal than saying, I'm going to give up my person. I'm going to give up all that I have, every dream, every aspiration that I may have wanted before, everything that I was clinging to, I'll give it up so that Jesus can live in me. Can I ask you a question? How many of you in a major or minor, a significant or an insignificant way, have played a part in leading someone to be baptized. How many of you here today? Praise the Lord. Put your hand up. God has used you. Praise the Lord. How many of you forgot that person that was baptized because of what you did? Because it's etched in our mind. It's so personal that we led someone to Jesus. Their life, maybe their family's life, maybe their offspring's life has been changed forever. Generations could be changed because of what God did through you. It's one of the most personal things you can do. How many of you ever dropped a tract off at someone's house and then three days later showed up and baptized them? That doesn't really sound like ministry, does it? Because in order to get to this stage, personal relationships have to be built. They have to be the main point. If anything is... If there's room for anything to to not be so personal, it could be this. We live in a different time now where teaching is something that is done not predominantly online, but places like Zoom and all of those horrible math labs, they're all online, right? And so you can... Sorry if I offended any of you, but yeah, math's not the one. Um, This is something that can be a little bit more impersonal and still be effective. However, as a teacher... I can tell you 
that nothing has been more effective in my six years of teaching. Nothing has been more effective than building relationship with the student. Nothing. I've stood, I've gone through the entire Bible with some of those classes. And at the end of graduation, when they stand up and they give their little goodbye speech, they rarely talk about the class. They'll bring up a way that you helped them or a way that you did this or a way that you, you know, took some time outside the classroom to say this to them or to do this with them. Those are the things that they remember. This was also what the disciples did when Jesus left. They went out and they built relationships. Did they preach to the masses? Yes. Were many of them baptized? Yes. But the reason why Peter was able to stand up there and be so effective is because many of those people recognized him as a fisherman just a few years ago. And they had seen the growth in his life and were like, wow, if Jesus can do that to him, imagine what he can do for me. Making disciples, the commission that we've been given, is a personal thing. And so we're not, we're not here at this seminar to give you quick fixes. We're not here to give you a link that you can post on Facebook and then everyone will come and want to sign up for Bible studies. What we want to do is show how you can take your ideas for ministry and how you can use them in a digital context whilst maintaining the personal aspect. Lineage is amazing. You get to sit down and watch loads of videos. You know what makes it even more amazing? When you see Adam Ramden walking around. Or when you see Clive, if you know that he was the guy behind the camera. And you're like, wow, those guys are real. I can touch them. I shouldn't because it's inappropriate. But they're real. And you see these things and you're like, wow. And, and so when, 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 you, when, when someone in your life is demonstrating the character of God, that's powerful. Sure, someone up here can stand and preach about it, but when you get to see it, it makes it all the more real. It says, the officers who were sent to Jesus came back with the report that never man spoke as he spake. But the reason for this was that never man lived as he lived. Had his life been other than it was, he could not have spoken as he did. His words bore with them a convincing power. Why? Because they came from a heart pure and holy, full of love and sympathy, benevolence and truth. And so this is the illustration we're using. You have the words. Jesus had the words. But what made Jesus' words so effective was the package. The package. The life that he lived. The person that he was, the character that he demonstrated, meant that when he went to stand up on a mountain with no microphone, every ear was attentively listening to hear what this person had to say. Jesus. The whole point, the whole point of this is to awaken a desire for the words to be received in such a way that people believe they can be trusted. For the message to be packaged in such a way that people think, wow, I can't wait to open that. I can't wait to see what's inside. I can't wait until that gift 
changes my life. The message of Jesus, the reason why Jesus stood out, was not merely because of the words that he spoke, but because of the way that he lived. And that's the take-home point that I want you to understand. The Adventist message was flying through the air, literally, because the pioneers themselves were desperate to see people saved. Not just desperate to have full churches. Are you with me? Those things, those are not the same. They were praying daily for God to give them the spirit in measures that they had never experienced before. So that when they went into brother so-and-so's house and sister so-and-so's house, that they could actually change their life. That's ministry. Now, how can we take that and put it in such a way online that it still works and that it's still personal? That's the next seminar. So we're going to take a break, five minutes, and then we will be back for part two. Clive will be presenting on Bell, the Dragon, and Digital Design. This message was recorded in partnership with Audioverse at the GYC conference Break Forth in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take sacrificial initiative for Christ and to see Jesus finish the work in this generation. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.